story. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, and they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate it. Keith takes very good care of me. I'll show you how to fish for people. Traditional texts say, I will make you a fisher of men. Indicating women can't fish. The text says, I will make you a fisher of people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. And a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them, come follow too. And they immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their dad, (laughs) or their father, behind. So dad and the business got left, and they went and followed Jesus. And what God really wants for Christmas are disciples, and we all need to give Jesus absolute control of our life. Have you ever considered how backward Christmas is? You know, Jesus is, is the gift that God gave to us. He gave himself to us. And so it's, it's Jesus' birthday, yet we give gifts to one another. Think about going to a birthday party, and instead of giving gifts to the birthday person, we brought gifts to one another and forgot the gift to the birthday person. Be kind of backwards. Be kind of agita- irritating if you happen to be the person whose birthday it was. And yet it's Jesus' birthday, and if we're truly celebrating it, shouldn't we think about what he wants for Christmas? And so that's what we're going to talk about this next couple of weeks, about, about what Jesus truly wants for Christmas. And this, this uh, message this morning Jesus wants disciples. And let me pose this question to you. What is it that he truly wants? Think about that. I've already told you the answer. And I believe the biggest thing on his list is disciple. And it's a word that we often misunderstand. It's, it's limit, something limited to uh, the original... It, 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 like, like it's something uh, limited to the original 12 disciples. Those are the disciples, and nobody else can be a disciple other than the apostles, and they're dead, so there must not be any room for any more disciples, thinking that way. And those men were indeed disciples that Jesus taught for three years, but they weren't the only ones. A disciple is a follower of another's teaching, a student, someone who adheres to the teachings of another. The last words of Jesus before he left the earth tell us, what he wanted. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the edge of the end of the age, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was, was looking for disciples then and now and, and he's looking for disciples to drop their own priorities and follow Jesus. And, and this is the response of a disciple to the words of Christ. It, you know, they, they immediately dropped their nets, left their father, and followed 
the Savior. And this is the response disciples are to have, that we are to stop doing what it is that, that we think matters, into our, matters of our, in our life, shift our priorities, and start being disciples, adherents to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And it's the response of a disciple to the words of Christ. But here's the problem. Many Christians hear the words, but there's no response. Yeah, Lord, I, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I, I've, got, I've got these kids, I've got this job, I've got the this, I've got the that, I've I got church. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have time for this other stuff. This dropping the nets and dropping what I'm doing and following you. I, I don't have time for that, and you know that, Lord. We know what Jesus wants us to do, but we think that obeying would be too uncomfortable or too extreme. It is. It's very uncomfortable to drop what you're doing and follow Jesus. It's uncomfortable to say, Lord, I don't, I don't know how you're going to work it out. I don't know how you're going to drop my pay 75%, move me, Five hundred miles, and put me into this thing with a bunch of of Mennonite pastors, and I don't even speak Mennoniteese. And Southern Baptists, oh, there's a bunch for you, and 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 you're expecting me to to do all this? I don't get it, God. And yet. He made it possible for, for Sarita and I and the girls to accomplish all that he wanted us to do. Some of it was done right. Quite a bit of it was done wrong. But it was done. And I'm saying that if, if a guy like me and my family can do it, anybody can. Jesus calls people to make extreme choices for him. In Luke 14, 25 through 31, a large crowd was following Jesus. And he turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother and wife and children. Children? You hate children? No. no. Brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. Yeah, Lord, I'll be your disciple. I'm in. I'm in 100%. Yeah, sign me up. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. Then everyone would laugh at you and they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors and discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? Jesus had an interesting way of establishing his kingdom. Hate your family. And he's not hate as, as we are thinking of the word hate. But he's saying that you are completely treating your family as if they didn't exist. You're willing to take up this instrument of 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 personal destruction, this cross, because it was designed as a, as a 
a way that people would be destroyed, that they would be killed. And that's what the cross was, that Jesus said, take it up. Knowing that this is an instrument of death, you take it up, you follow me. And if you think it through, he had three years of active ministry to set up the foundation of the church. Three years, that's all he had. And you'd think he would want as many followers as possible. And, that's, and, and, and what's the way to draw a large crowd of people? You know, do some miracles. You know, a lot of razzmatazz, fire and, and smoke and mirrors and, and uh, feeding them. Hey, 5,000 people come. Hey, I'll, I'll feed you. Perform this great miracle. And you'd think that's the way that he was going to build his kingdom. And, and he does some of these things, but, but at this point of his ministry, he takes a look over the crowd and understands that what he really needs isn't a large crowd following him, but people who are committed to Jesus Christ, committed to him, to follow him, to take up their cross, to forsake their family, to leave the comfortable things behind and start focusing and ministering on the uncomfortable. People who are truly committed to being his disciples and are willing to demonstrate that commitment, they give up everything, the, the, the yesterdays, the todays, and the tomorrows, that comfort. And he needs those people that are, that are, that are so committed to he and his kingdom that it blows away all of their earthly relationships. What in the world are you thinking of? You're moving across the land, the, the world, the other side of the world, to these people that don't understand you, that you don't understand them. You know, mess around and fall in love with a woman that doesn't speak English? Well, yes, she does. Pretend you don't. <laughs> How in the world is that going to work? In a culture you don't understand, with the people that don't, you don't understand, they don't understand you. And yet, Ben dropped his net, picked up his cross. And I think we have others in here that are net droppers and cross carriers. Not necessarily going far away, but doing it in their own community. What does Jesus want for Christmas? He wants disciples. What's the driving force in your life? Better still, for whom are you living? Oh, yeah, the, the, you, you, you tell me, John, okay, yeah, the driving, I get it, I get it, I understand what you're saying. The driving force in my life is Jesus Christ, and he is who I'm living for. That's the pat answer. But how does the world know? How does the world know that you're a disciple? Well, it's none of their business what I am, who I am, and what I'm doing. None of their business. And that, my friend, is where people are wrong. We're to let our light shine. We're to go into the world and, and compel the lost to come in. I want to tell you a story about Pastor... Yadidya... Uh, <laughs> Jasden, uh, he, he, was, he was an India evangelist, and he and his three brothers preached to the people of India. And their father, after being a street evangelist for over 60 years, was killed at the age of 78 by a band of thugs who didn't want 
to hear or have the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. And his sons now carry on the gospel legacy. And three times a month, they go to the busiest section of town and they set up a microphone and a speaker and they preach the good news of Jesus Christ. They've been stoned and they've been beaten, but they continue to, to follow what Jesus Christ is having them, has commanded them to do. When Pastor Yadidya leaves his home in the morning, he kisses his wife goodbye, and they have an interchange that goes like this, and he says to her, if I do not return, it is better. And she says, yes, and if I'm not here when you return, it is better. See, they are willing to give up everything that they have to preach the word, to tell the lost people of India about Jesus Christ. They are truly committed disciples, and and that's what Jesus wants for Christmas. And this type of commitment is, is exactly what he wants because it's when disciples are willing to lay everything down for their master that his will is being done here on earth. Now, maybe you're saying, John, not everybody can go and be a missionary overseas. I'll buy that. Not everybody can be a pastor. I'll buy that. But every single one of us can do the work of an evangelist. Every single one of us can be a disciple. Every single one of us should be a disciple maker. And what does that look like? How does that play out practically? I think we need to extend ourselves to the lost. Uncomfortable. Get out of our comfort zone. Take our push for a hundred seriously. Oh, hey, yeah. Fallapalooza. Good time was had by all. We ate stuff. We sang stuff. We played games. We listened to music. We saw some people getting saved. Okay, that was then, this is now, we're going to go and get on with our lives. But see, friends, that Fallapalooza was the beginning. We have got 31 days, 30 days now, to reach 100 people, because we're looking at the 1st of January, right, Ben? Have we extended that? 1st of January, 100 people. Consistently. Butts in the bucket. We need the people in here consistently. And that is doing the work of a disciple. And then, when they come, we are to be discipling them. We talk about that in the mornings on at Sunday in the men's group. If you're a man, you need to come in there. Get up a little earlier. Say, well, what's for my wife? Oh, what's for your wife? Well, they've got stuff for her too. So, guys, Come. Ladies, come, and, and you will be, you'll be challenged, you'll be glad that you did, you'll be glad that you came. Use your giftedness to reach the unsaved in our community. Be creative, be intense, be committed, and only then is the spiritual landscape of Shawnee Heights going to change. Only then are we going to be able to impact our neighborhood by getting involved, by being disciples and disciple makers within our community.
Not just forgetting about, okay, that was then, this is now, we've got to go on with our life. If we were as fervent about reaching the lost as we are about doing our job, being a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, if we were as fervent about reaching the lost as we were about making a living, as, as fervent as we were about leaving it all on the, on the ball field or the basketball court, leaving it all at the end of the day with our children and our grandchildren, leaving it all with our families, if we were that intense we'd reach a thousand, not just a hundred. These words of Jesus are not to be glibly read and then forgotten. If, if we really are a disciple, it's going to cost you everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in The Cost of Discipleship. It's an old book. Uh, it's maybe out of print, maybe back in print. But uh, The Cost of Discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So when Christ calls a person, man or woman, young people, he bids him, them, to come and die. Will you give Jesus what he really wants for Christmas this year? If you do, if you take him seriously enough to lay your life on the line, your hopes, your dreams, your family, your possessions, your comforts, then you're on your way of knowing the secret of discipleship. Matthew it's found in, in, in all four Gospels a total of six times. Matthew 16.25 says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So you've got to save your life, you're going to lose your life. And I'm not talking physically of dying, or it, it, maybe it's, it, that happens. But I'm talking about saving or losing your life in terms of discipleship. This... I have a decision to make concerning a mission trip to the, to the Philippines I want to take. So am I going to save my life or am I going to lose it? So I, I look at this and, you know, I've got work to do here. I'm a pastor here. I've got this part-time job here. I'm not sure I can handle the physical stress. It's expensive and we don't have the money. What do I have to offer people who don't understand me? I don't want to go anywhere just for a vacation. I'll have to leave my bride, my family. That's plain and safe. Losing it, God has given me a chance to be involved in a world mission. I can use, maybe for the first time in my life, Every single gift that God has given me, 100% of it, to be involved in kingdom building. And for me, that's huge. God has the money issue covered if I'm, if I'm really to go. Uh, we've, we've seen that happen 100 times. It would be better for me to go and lose my life for making disciples rather than playing it safe and staying home. I think I'm going to lose my life. I don't want to play it safe. I want to do something that counts so I can bring it back home and share that and show you how we can do the same exact thing right here in this corner. 
We make a lot of choices which determine whether or not we're authentic disciples of Christ. So ask yourself, am I really an authentic Christian? Am I really a true disciple? Or am I just following the crowd? And you recall Jesus and Peter having a conversation in John 21. Uh, Jesus had been crucified and was gone. And all that Peter knew how to do was fish. So he kind of forgot what Jesus told him in, in, the, in the days before he died. And, and so uh, he says, come on, boys, let's go catch some fish. You know, we can sort stuff out. We've sorted stuff out before going fishing. So they weren't catching anything. And, and Jesus performed a miracle and then he cooked breakfast. So he performs this, this huge miracle, and you read the, read the account in John 21, and, and, and then he's cooking breakfast for him. And Jesus comes up to, up to Peter and motions to the fish and the nets and the boat, and he asks him quite simply, he asks this question, he says in John 21, 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, you love me more than these? There's a wonderful song. Lovest thou me more than these, my friend? What will your answer be? Wonderful, wonderful song. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, he's using two words here. Jesus is saying, Simon Peter... Son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And he's looking at the stuff. He's looking at the nets. He's looking at the oars. He's looking at the sails. He's looking at the boats. He's even looking at his, his, the guys that were fishing with him. He says, do you love me more than these? Do you agapao, meaning I lay everything on the line. That means self, that, that, that complete, utter sacrificial, no-strings-attached love. Diagapago me, Peter, more than these? And, and Peter didn't quite get it. He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I phileo you. You're my brother. It's like I like you. You're my bud. We've done life together for three years. You know that. And Jesus said, tend my lambs. He said, take care of my church. And he goes through that three times, and Peter gets aggravated, and it finally comes to the place of he realizes the light comes on. Yes, Lord, I love you more than these. And if you remember, this, this, was, this was Peter's uh, uh, wake-up call. I believe this is where, where he really accepted the forgiveness of, of Christ for denying him three times. And you, you see from then on, Peter was a giant of the faith. He truly was a disciple. He gave it all up. He never went back. We, we never, I don't even think that he, I think he sold his rod and reel. I, I, don't, I don't think he had anything, had anything to do with fishing after that. 
Can you imagine being asked that question by Jesus? Do you love me more than these? And, and, and what if he asks us that? And he points to our spouse or our children or our friends, our stuff. He may even ask you about your dreams and hopes for your life. Do you love him more than these? And what Jesus wants for Christmas is exactly that. It's for you to respond to him. Yes, Lord, I love you more than these. I'm willing to prove it with my actions, even if it costs me, even if I know that it's going to cost me my life, even if every string on your guitar breaks. If everything falls apart, or if everything is just going just as smooth as glass, you're, you're at the top of your game. And he points and says, are you willing to give that up? What about that new relationship? What if you're an all-star? on a sports team. Do you love Jesus more? Do you love Jesus more than that ministry that he set you into? (laughs) Maybe he's got something new for you. And so, even though it may cost, I'll follow you. Why? Because I'm your disciple. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you a fisher person of men. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you a disciple. Follow me, and I'll make you a disciple maker. That, my friends, is what Jesus wants for Christmas. Doesn't need any pretty bows or wrapping paper. Needs our life. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and your goodness and your kindness and your care. And Lord, thank you for, for me. And thank you for my family. And thank you for my church friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, may we catch the, the spirit of what you are wanting to, us to, to do. May we, may we catch your heartbeat, that, that love that you have for us, so much that you gave your life for us. In this season, we look back when, when you were but a baby and you came and you were born, knowing as you grew up that you were going to one day give your life for us. Lord, make us a disciple because that's what you want. Thank you for it. In your son's name, Lord, amen. Matt?